This is the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game. Rule number one is you have to believe in yourself. You're the only one who doesn't think you belong in this appointment. The prospect has already validated your existence by scheduling time with you. Get it through your head you belong here. Go in there, crush it, and close the deal. A place where sales professionals can come to learn from other sales professionals and thought leaders that have mastered their craft. The difference between a good salesperson and a best-in-class salesperson is only two minutes. By spending an extra two minutes on what you might think is a mundane task in the sales game, you separate yourselves from the pack, you grow your book of business, you close more deals, and you retain your accounts. As well as their peers who are still striving for perfection to achieve their why. I have a wife and four kids. Failure is not an option. Real sales professionals. Real stories. Real results. It's no different than being a professional baseball player. You can't be a one-trick pony. You have to be a five-tool player in order to succeed in this game. This is the Power Producers Podcast. Production redefined. Are you ready to feel the power? Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game today. We have Jason Cass's ginger, Mr. Miles Merwin, is our guest. And we're going to talk about a lot of stuff with Miles. But before we get into that, I don't know how many people in our audience know who you are, Miles. You know, you're a legend in the circles that we run in. But why don't you give them a little bit of a background on, on who you are, where you came from, and how you got to where you're at? Yeah, I appreciate that, David. Thanks for having me on as well. Uh, background, the quick background is I am, let's see, I'm 38 now. I started in the insurance business in 2008. I uh, I worked for a state farm agent for six months, my first insurance gig. And the funny thing is the other day, I took one of my new producers to go to the golf range and the guy who had first hired me was right beside us hitting some balls. And that- left, I told the new producer of mine, I said, you know, a funny story. He said, what's that? I said, that guy that was hitting balls right beside us. I said, he fired me after six months and told me I wasn't meant for the insurance business. And uh, I said, I, w- I remember sitting in his parking lot uh, that Saturday afternoon. He made me, br- he, he brought me in on a Saturday. I've been married like six months or something like that. And I said, uh, I-, I remember sitting in my Jeep uh, thinking I will never be an employee again. Like I will, I will own my own business. That was, uh, that was the turning point, right? That was the, I went from employee mindset to owner mindset that I needed to own my own future. But I knew, uh, Dave and Kyle that I didn't know enough to do that yet. Uh, and so I went, I don't you told me to come in on Saturday morning and, uh, I thought that was awesome. Unacceptable. Um, I remember I, I asked him for a recommendation. I would have probably had like a, yeah, I had a worse snap hook than I already have. If that guy pulled me in on a Saturday morning to can me, and then I'm next to him in a driving range, he has zero chance of being there alive. Oh no! Well, this is years later. We're friends now. We make we, we know we laugh about it. He's a I, I like him as a good guy, but uh, it was it was interesting at the time. Well, it's funny, man, because I actually, um, when I went to come into the industry, I was working with a recruiter and the recruiter that I was working with um, came back and told me that uh, she had gotten feedback from one of the agencies that I had a great personality and I was obviously intelligent, but I just didn't have the backbone to ever cut it in commercial insurance. And like... I get motivated by people who tell me what I can't do. Like that is my number one motivator, more than money, more than power, fame, any of that. If you tell me I can't do something, I get personally insulted by that. And then I double down, whatever it takes for me to get it done, I get it done. And so um, I ended up finally getting a job at the agency where I started. And when I did, I didn't forget that that guy made that comment about me. So I immediately targeted his agency and not just his agency, but his top producer. And I began to pick off accounts one after the other from their stud. And every time I did, 
I sent that guy a dozen roses and a handwritten thank you note thanking him for the motivation for me to go out on the streets and kick his rear end every day. I love so it. that's that's how I'm wired. So you I can am. only imagine that if I was called in on a Saturday morning, oh my goodness, it would have gotten nasty in a hurry in my world. That is exactly the same way I am. And uh, that lit the fire. I think I needed him. I needed him in my life to tell me that it wasn't meant for the business because it just completely changed my mindset. That was the moment I decided this is what I want to do. And I do want to be in the insurance industry. Um, like I said, I just didn't have enough experience. So I went two miles down the road, got another job at a state farm office, worked there for three and a half years and killed it. And then just quit. And I'd, I'd taken the last year I worked there to plan this agency advisors and opened. Um, so the day I told them I quit, I, I was, you know, I went home and started working in my new, my new, uh, my new business. Yeah, that's good stuff, man. Um, it's interesting to me. The whole state farm model is kind of crazy, right? Because to me, it's like if you get if you lose your job at one state farm, how can you go get a job at another state farm? And it was Ricky Hader, right? When we had Hader on, that he was talking about this, Kyle, how the different state farm people were very territorial and everything too, because uh, he he came from State Farm as well. But anyhow, we're not here to talk about State Farm. Yeah, it was it's interesting, um, but. When I was saying I, I did that, that's how I started it at an insurance business. Opened this business from scratch with uh, zero employees, zero revenue, zero clients, a laptop and a cell phone and a spare bedroom and a whole lot of hope is is, is what I say. And uh, quickly started hiring and, you know, just uh, knocking on doors, literally knocking on doors in neighborhoods that looked nice. I thought I'd like to insure. And so started there and then quickly realized that sucked. And I wanted to uh, do something different. And, uh, uh, you know, it's amazing how these things come together. Looking back, I was I was at lunch with a guy just trying to get him to give me his deck pages to quote his insurance. And he basically said he'd have to, like, pray about it with his family. And, you know, I was like, I'm paying for this guy's lunch. And I can tell he doesn't want to, you know, he's got to go pray about it, which I'm, you know, I'm a religious person and, and faithful and stuff. But. I came quickly to realize that anytime someone has to pray about something, I, I, it's not going to work out. Like I like people who like to drink beers and smoke because they got a beer to drink and a cigarette to smoke. It's time to like that. The, they got to make a decision to move on. Uh, they don't time to pray about it. And so, but while I was in there, like wasting money on lunch, some guy put a flyer on my car. It's like, uh, it was an Edward Jones guy or something like that. And, um, I called him. It's like, who are you to market me while I'm trying to market? And so I called him up, tried to sell him insurance. He's like, hey, I got this networking group. I was like, yeah, I'm in networking group. There was a mortgage broker in that group. And so that's where I was exposed to mortgage brokers and just made that my new mission to get mortgage brokers. And you know how that works. So we went down that road and basically grew a really big personal lines um, agency so a couple of years ago, we started moving into commercial insurance where killing commercial came in, came into play. Um, and from that, kind of what we were coming on this to, to talk about as well is I, I needed a separate, I needed an edge for how to find producers. How do I find great talent? And I knew from my background, like I wanted to be, I wanted to open my own agency and I, I think that's awesome. I want people to have the dream to open up their own businesses and open their own, their own agencies. And I was tired of hearing other uh, other principals talk about how they were worried about their producers leaving or they didn't want to hire people that might want to go out and open their own agencies. So I was like, well, how can we how can we uh, grab a hold of that and make that a positive thing? Um, Brent Kelly says this all the time with with uh, Roger Sicken's group. You know, the average agents, the average agent does really, really well. We make a lot of money. There's a lot of business out there to get. And so, you know, I make we, we, we make a lot of money. And so I was like, you know, if I can help someone open up an agency and meet their dreams, too, that's win win. I'm making more money than I ever thought I would. Now they're making, you know, making great money, providing for their families. And now they're employing people, too. So we're creating a lot more jobs, a lot more satisfaction and really creating great relationships. I hope last well into the future. So in my mind, it was a win win. We're both making money. We're, we're creating relationships and, and watching success happen. 
I feel like when you're watching and creating success, then you are naturally going to get success in your life. Well, it's funny, man, because I, I when I talk to people, I, I actually had this conversation earlier today with somebody. I don't think there's ever a producer, a, a good producer that is looking for a job ever. Like they're not, they're, I don't know of any producer who's going to come in and validate and just crush it. That's going to come to you, approach you and ask you if they can work in your agency, you hire them. And that actually works out. I think that the good producers, one of two things happens. Either A, they stay at the agency where they're at producing because that agency has a path to equity for them. They can build a little asset on their balance sheet, get partner status, and get some satisfaction with being in leadership. Or B, they get pissed off, leave, start their own agency. That I mean, those are the two things. For, the, for I would say 90 some high 90 percentile of your best producers are in one of those two buckets. They're either where they've all, or, and I'm obviously excluding like Marsh, Willis, Aon, and all of them out of this. I'm talking about the guys that are in, you know, the bucket in the sandbox that we, the sandbox we play in. I think that's where they go. So to show them a path to do that is huge. Yeah. We saw it. So my tagline is a clear path to ownership for team members, but I hope my culture is so strong. You never want to leave. Yeah. I like it. What's um, what's been the biggest challenge in kind of doing both, you know, running the agency, but also putting together this program? Um, I think it's just time. It's developing time. It's spending the time to not develop them as a producer, but also spending time showing them how to run the insurance agency. Right. Um, and it challenges me because I got to have my junk straight, right? I got to talk about processes and procedures and systems. But then when they're asking, hey, can I see a copy of the processes, procedures and systems? You're like, yeah, yeah, you can see it. <laughs> yeah, well, you can see it. So it's, you know, in creating this, it has challenged me to put things on paper and walk the walk. Yeah, it's funny how that works. That's fair. Um Talk to me a little bit about structure. Like, what's the what's the structure of the program? What like what kind of process do you run these people through? How does that look? So, two sides of this. One, the original business idea, David, was uh, a clear path to ownership for team members, and um, and so I ran them through the first twelve months. They had basically had to produce for me, build up a book of business for me that I'm going to keep for the first twelve months. For the next 12 months, you can build up your own book of business as long as you did well in the first 12 months and you proved yourself that you're, you know, that you can be on a level of turning into a principal of an insurance agency. So the next 12 months, they basically build up their own book of business. The goal is for them to build up $100,000 in revenue in a book of business that they're going to take with them. And I basically just give it to them. Here's $100,000 in revenue. Here's enough to pay a salary, pay some overhead and maybe hire an assistant. And, uh, and so then I take them through a, a process of learning exactly how I do everything that I do, um, what it looks like to dive into looking at carrier reports, talking with, talking with marketing reps, what it looks like to hold team meetings, plan for team meetings, all the things that go into it. So they're taking time to produce and kind of watch how we go through things in our agency. And they're experiencing it at the same time. That was the original side of the business. And David, I think, and, and Kyle, what happened was, and my wife saw it as well, is, and I think you do the same thing. It's a lot of fun to help agents, right? It's a lot of fun. You get a lot of like, I don't know, to me, hitting the submit button on a huge case, it, that's not like, I don't get a thrill out of that anymore. I get a thrill out of seeing the, seeing the light come on for, a, for an agency owner. Like that, that's a thrill to me. And so I had a lot of, through exposure through you and Jason Cass and other things that I've done, I had a lot of agents calling me and asking me for advice. And I was just, I was excited to do it. I got excited seeing it on my calendar. And I noticed that I was starting to see that happen one, two, three times a week. And uh, Brent Kelly's always telling me, you know, no unpaid consulting work. And my wife's like, why are you spending time with these, these strangers? Why aren't you spending time with either your family or your own business? I was like, Great point. I love doing this, but I realize I probably need to get paid for this time. And so that's where I said, hey, I've already got this brand, Producers to Principles. And I kind of just put some terms together. Hey, these principals who are calling me are acting like producers. 
they're, they're struggling in some way. So I just, I, I just, I started writing down some, some, some rough draft and then came up with, Hey, helping, helping agency owners to stop acting like producers and start acting like the principles their agencies desperately need. Nice. So how long has this program been going on? Is it a, a pretty relatively new thing yeah, for you? Or? So the, the helping team members um, open up their own agencies, that's about two years, a little over two years. And then the okay. um, helping agency owners to start acting more like principals, that is really since January 1st. And I have three clients. Oh, wow. So brand new. So let me ask you, is this like digital learning? I mean, this isn't anywhere near like some of the other stuff that's out there. You're physically bringing these people into the agency and it's on the job training, right? Is that accurate? Yeah. So the first part, so that side, like team members, you know, able to open their own agencies. Yeah, it's on the job. These are people working in my agency, working with clients, building a book of business that have the hope or dream to open their own agency. Uh, yes. And then the other side, the coaching part, that is, you know, the, I, I would say, and David, I think you and I talked about this. Um, no, I was talking with someone who called me to ask who they should do business with. And, and maybe it was you, David, but said, hey, there's a difference between hiring a coach who talks about the insurance industry and then hiring a coach who's in the insurance industry. Like work at an agent. I hear, I hear that, that. That has to be the number one thing that I hear yeah. is – I'm talking to you because you actually do this every day. And it blows my mind, man. I mean, yes, if you're running an agency, you're running a good book of business, you don't have time to do a lot of other things if you don't use automation, if you don't outsource to virtual assistants, a lot of the other things that we do to allow us to have that time. Yeah. Uh, so I, I get it. But at the same time, it just... I'm I'm blown away sometimes that there aren't more resources from people that are in the industry. But I think it, it's because the industry by and large is so far behind that even some of the most successful people that you and I both know still run old school agencies and they can't break away from that thought pattern, right? Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and I think what's helpful is even myself, the reason why I like to share is because I needed help at some point. And I reached out to other insurance agency owners to ask them questions like, how did you go from here to here? How did you bridge these these gaps? And I was able to ask all those questions until I realized that I had surpassed them. And then I was always looking for another person to reach out who's bigger and better. And so that's when I joined Sitkins because he had... Brent had access to people running $30 million revenue agencies, and I'm trying to get from two to three, you know? And so I had expanded my network, but I feel like a lot of insurance agents, they get stuck and they haven't expanded their network of insurance agency owners who have gone through these phases of their business. And so that's where I kind of said, hey, I'm getting input from up above to get from 2 million revenue to five. That's my goal. And so my target client is someone between 250,000 in revenue and a million dollars in revenue trying to get to two. So I'm kind of, you know, I'm taking in food on the right and then I'm working it in my agency and figuring out what works and fixing problems. And then talking to people who say, you know, they're two steps behind me. And I'm really just saying, hey, here's how I moved through that struggle so you don't have to take three years to do it. We can get you through this in three or four or five months. Yeah, I think um, it's interesting. You know, I've, I've watched how Killing Commercial has grown over the last year. And when we first started, it was agencies that were primarily personal lines, you know, maybe 750000 to 1.5 million in revenue, 80% personal, 20% commercial. Of that 20%, literally 100% of it was $5,000 or less in premium. Fast forward, last week I onboarded an agency that's 7 million in revenue. And so to me, as I was constructing wow. all of this, you know, the thing that I did not realize was the power of the community and having everybody speaking the same language that had the same general goals being middle market insurance and all of that. And it forces you to your point earlier, it forces you to step your own game up, right? Like I, I posted the editorial calendar for Florida risk partners in January 
in the news feed because I wanted to be held accountable to everybody because I'm telling them to do it. Here's what I'm going to do. Guess yeah. what? I missed two weeks in February. Nobody called me out. So I'm a little bit disappointed in that. But I went back in and, and, and made sure everything for March is already published and scheduled to go out. So, um, you know, I think, it, I think it's good, man. In, in masterminds in general carry a lot of weight. You know, I, I think that if you continuously search to find somebody better than you, number one, you're never going to quit looking. <laughs> and number two, you're yeah. never going to quit getting better. Like, it's not that hard. It's too, I mean, that's way too much common we're, sense I talk to producers about this, right? Like, Surrounded, we're, constantly, yeah. we're constantly maturing. I'm maturing every day. Every year that goes by, I'm getting more mature, I hope, anyways. And so as I mature, like, I've got to keep stepping up my game. Otherwise, I'm just going to get bored. I'm, I'm that personality. Like, if I'm doing the same thing over and over again, and we're sitting still or going backwards, it's, it's time to end. It's, you know, it's, it's time to be done. And so I'm constantly trying to get better and, um, you know, continue maturing and, and help others. Yeah, I think that's a mindset that every entrepreneur shares, right? You know, you kind of have to or else you're just going to become stagnant and you're not going to be, you're not going to end up in the place that you set out to be. What, um, what for you, you know, transitioning from working in an agency to running an agency was the most eye-opening thing for you? You know, Kyle, that's a great question. I think, you know, two and a half years ago, I guess it was two and a half, maybe three years ago, I stopped producing and started, you know, just like the name of my, my business on the side, you know, producers to principal, started being the principal of my agency. And even to even as recent as yesterday, Kyle, like I held an office meeting for my whole office, which is now completely remote and virtual, which is different. And I got off that meeting and I sent my op director. I was like, God, why did that meeting suck so bad? Like I have got to step up my game so for meetings. Like why <laughs> I had no dialogue. The crickets were chirping. Like why was, why did that suck so bad? And it's and, way tougher uh, in the virtual world than in person, obviously. I mean, that has, that's got to have something to do with it. It is. I think the toughest part about going from being a producer to the to a principal is learning to lead versus learning to sell insurance policies. I mean, I'm leading team members. I'm, you know, you're responsible to keep them driven and hungry and maturing and feeding them new information and challenging them and challenging yourself and you know, and managing data going into your AMS systems. I mean, there's just so much work to be done in managing the agency. And I tell my clients, uh, my coaching clients, it's not hard work, like digging a ditch and sweating. Like it's not hard. It's just different. And it's challenging. I, like, I have this, this vision of like static energy, right? Static energy, you're like, it's something when it's sitting on your desk, it's hard to get going. It's hard to get moving. And so, but once you get the, over that initial, you know, thrust, you're, you're now moving, but uh, everything's trying to stop you everything's trying to slow you back down to a stopping point. And so what are you going to do to, that's the kinetic energy, right? That's trying to slow you down all the time. And so what are you going to do to keep yourself moving? You've got yourself going now. That was hard enough. What are you going to put behind you to keep you moving forward so you don't stop again? Because if you stop, it's so much harder to get going again. And that's where I think coaching and accountability uh, comes in partners comes in massively to keep you going. I think that's kind of like uh like the gym example that we've used before, right? Like it's the hardest part is getting there. And once yep. and, and once you're there, it 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 becomes addicting, right? I mean, it's uh it, it's something that I <laughs> That I wish I could get back into here, you know, once this COVID nonsense is over. Well, but, listen, um, man, I, I just went back to the gym for the first time in three months this morning, right? I had right. to take time off. I got cortisone shots in both my knees, had mm -hmm. to recover from it. But I got there and, um, you know, I always go with Orange Theory with my wife because otherwise it would be really awkward if I was in a room with a bunch of soccer moms in yoga pants and I was the only dude there. So I have to take her with me <laughs> for my own experience, <laughs> if nothing else. But even she said, she's like, wow, you, you were getting after it on the treadmill today. And I didn't mean mm -hmm. to, but I, I mean, I felt good. I feel really good and I feel better when I go. But can I tell you how many weeks in a row? I was ready to go back to Orange Theory three weeks ago. 
And every right. night at about 8.15, I see that reminder, and then I'll go into the app and hit cancel. I'll cancel that class. <laughs> yeah. If I don't, it's going to cost me 12 bucks, right? Mm-hmm. So I just got in the habit. Some nights I'd cancel the next two days in a row. And then I'm like, you know what? Finally, this week on Monday, you know, we had gotten after it pretty good doing some work around the house over the weekend, and I was sore on Monday. I canceled it, and I said, this is the line in the sand. I'm done. It's got to happen no matter what. And I got there, and everything was great. Right. Just Just about getting there, man. It's no different than cold calling or dialing, right? Just got to pick it up. Pick up the phone or or, or open the first door. Yeah. How many times do people – like you get a girl's number when you're in high school or junior high and you dial, you dial the first six numbers and then hang up You can't hit that number seven. You have to talk yourself off the ledge. This is no different than any of that, right? You have to get in the mind frame that you're going to do it and then do it. And part of, you know, part of my thought process too, right now, my mind shifted quite a bit. I just, I just posted about this earlier, but, I just wrapped up reading Atomic Habits and like makes way too much sense. Right. I mean, that book, I felt like that book should have been personalized to me because it's exactly mm-hmm. what I need to do. And I mean, you know, look, crazy stuff, but you set yourself up for success. So I have a routine every morning. I go in, I shave, I do everything I need to do in the bathroom. Right. All of that. Well, now the book is there. It doesn't sit somewhere else in my house where I have to go search it out to read. It's where I need it to be when I'm ready to read. Right. So I read the book because it was there. Now, every time I, you turn around, I will have another book in that area. Same thing with my desk. I have a book. Good morning. I have for years. It sits on my desk. It, it's John Maxwell's daily reader for leadership. I've read the book probably 10 times now, but I get something different out of it. All the time. If that wasn't sitting directly to the left of my keyboard, I wouldn't remember to do it every day that I go in and do it. And that's after 10 years of doing this. It's still, in my mind, not a habit because if it wasn't sitting there, I wouldn't remember to do it. So I think that a lot of what Hmm. we do, whether it be in production or running our agencies or whatever else, boils down to you have to set those cues into motion to where you're not going to forget the stuff that you want to become habitual. And then you consistently add And there. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and regurgitate Cleary's whole book because everybody should read that book in my opinion. But at some point you hit a tipping point, right? It's, it's not just, I, I was thinking about this today. If I just looked at a hundred areas of my life and I got 1% better at each of a, one of those hundred areas, I will be a hundred percent better than I was last year, right? Across the board. I don't have a hundred areas of my life. Five of them are your beard. Five of them are your beard. (laughs) So I, you know, people listen to these podcasts as I used to and still do. And they, and they watch the the video of this. I don't know if this is going to be a video, Um, but a lot of times they look at this and say, man, all these three guys got it figured out. Like how, Right. But they do like they say, hey, these guys got it figured. Look how organized they are. Look at this books that David's reading. Look at all this content they're putting out. Like they've got it so organized. What do you think is the like the number one thing holding people back? You know, they they write the check to you for the killing commercial. But then what? Like, you know, they're willing to write the check. But what do you think is that number one thing holding people back from implementing? I feel like implementing is the number one thing in insurance industry people just aren't doing. I'll tell you what, Miles, it blows my mind. I mean, you know the size of the check that you have to write to get in. And you would think that that cures a lot of that. And it does to a certain degree. But then... You know, I've got a subset of guys, and if you're listening, you're safe. I'm not going to name you by name, but you know that I know you because I call you and I find out why you're not logging in and doing all of these things. But, it, it, you know, I was thinking of something. I'm going to do a post later this week, but the general premise is life makes accountability difficult, but accountability makes life easy, right? People want accountability, but they let life, everything get in the way 
of them being able to be involved in some level of accountability, whether it be with a mentor, a coach, a spouse, whether it's religious or whatever else. There's a million ways you can find excuses to do that. But if you want that person to hold you accountable to something that's a specific problem that's happening in your life or a subset of problems and you consistently put them off, life's not getting easier. It's getting much more difficult. If you suck it up and you commit to being accountable to a third party for whatever's going on in your business, your spiritual life, whatever, and you make it a priority to do that, everything else is so much easier because you have that. But we don't want that. We want accountability, but we don't, right? We don't want to commit, right? We don't want to commit to it. When it's, con- when, it's, when it's convenient. Will? Yeah. Do you think it's self-will? Do you think like lack of self-will? Do you think it's just a, a gravitation to comfort and what's comfortable is what they've where they've been in the past? You know, I, I can tell you from my perspective, I, I just, again, I had this conversation with somebody earlier today. And for the last year of being, you know, ingrained in killing commercial and and dealing with people of different demographics and mindsets and agency sizes across the country, I have boiled it down to one thing that is my job in all of that. And that one thing is to get people to believe in themselves. That's it. It has nothing to do with the sales process. I can teach that with my eyes closed. It has nothing to do with insurance knowledge. You can get that from the National Alliance or the Institutes or whatever. You can't teach somebody self-belief. They have to come to the conclusion on their own that they believe in themselves. And so that has been interesting for me because I've had to adjust my skill set a little bit and become more of a, a motivator and an overly upbeat person, which, to, you know, I'm, I'm an optimist. I'm, I'm a positive thinker, but I'm also very direct And if I need to have a difficult conversation, it's not going to sound very flowery. It's going to be a difficult conversation from point A to point B. And we're going to cut, you know, we're going to move on and not talk about it again because I expect it to be fixed. But just so many people want to do this and yet they don't even know where to start. And then when you show them where to start, they freak out. And I ran into it myself. That's why I know that's part of what the big, one of the biggest problems is because, you know, we begin to doubt. We look for every reason why we shouldn't. Why shouldn't I go into this appointment? Well, I shouldn't go into this appointment because I've only been a producer for a year. I shouldn't go into this appointment because mm-hmm. I don't have a designation. I shouldn't go into this appointment because I'm only 30 years old. I shouldn't go into this appointment. And I mean, I can keep going on and on. At the end of the day, if you believe in yourself, if you believe in your skill set and you do have support in your agency, you really don't have an excuse. The only excuse that's keeping you from going into an appointment is what's looking back at you every time you look in the mirror. And you need to figure that out and get your head right or you're never going to be successful in this industry. I'm a self-motivated person, but when I was told I wouldn't be successful, I had two choices. I could lick my wounds, feel sorry for myself, and go be serving ice cream at Dairy Queen for a living. Or I could double down, get pissed off, and go out and teach that guy a lesson, which is what I did. And part of that's my DNA. But the other part of it is that I did have some of those other things. I did have the insurance side in terms of a support structure. What I didn't have was anybody to show me how to go out and get in front of people, how to go out and have the meetings in what types of things should I talk about. And as I have conversations with producers every single week, that is the one thing that stands out more than anything else is they just, number one, they don't believe in themselves enough to go and overcome everything else. And part of that is because they don't have a process. They don't have uh, something that's replicable, that's been proven, that they that sort of takes that learning curve off for them and allows them that self-confidence. They, they lack the self-confidence because they're just getting beat down by life every day and nobody's there to throw them a lifeline. And I feel like a lifeline as much as anything else, specifically with how many times... I'm doing one-off consultations to get guys ready to go out on new business appointments. I'm thinking to myself, what the heck is going on in your agency that your agency principal can't do this for you? Now, if the answer is my agency principal is a principal, not a producer, great. 
then they probably have you in my program because they know that I'm more qualified to help you with this than what they are. And it allows their time to not be wasted on something that is not one of their best attributes. I'm a big believer in delegating to the lowest level of competency for everything in terms of operation, but I'm also a big believer in hiring the absolute best for self-improvement and coaching in your team. And it's just like with the masterclasses in Killing Commercial, I'm not going to do them. I'm not going to do 15 or 20 masterclasses because at some point it is going to be very obvious I'm not an expert in everything, right? <laughs> I'm, I'm really good at what I'm really good at and everything else, I'm okay. I mean, I'm better than average maybe in yeah. some things and I'm, you know, I'm going to probably win, but I'm really good at what I'm really good at. And, and if I stay in that lane, then that's great. If I can help other people who aren't as strong in that lane, that's great. But I borrow just as much from people in the community as I teach because I'm learning other points of view and things, and it only makes my game that much stronger. So rather than me try and be the expert for all things, I'm bringing in the expert, and they're creating all of that content that's going to live inside the site. And so you're going to learn content marketing from the absolute best content marketer I know. You're going to learn how to build a niche market in middle market from one of the best I know that's done that nationally. And if we continue to do that, you better watch out, man, because there's 188 users in that community that are fixing to take this country by storm. Boom. There you go. Up, I, I, I'm getting like, ready to get up and start start the, 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 <laughs> just you heading to Orange Theory for for uh, number two today. Give you the holsters I scoot <laughs> across, but no. I mean, honestly, I, man, I mean. I no, I I'm, I'm with you. I think accountability is huge, and then you know people having to be confident in themselves is something that's often overlooked. It's just taken for granted, but it's not always a given. Um, I would add to that too that. And and not this is not speaking you know to uh, killing commercial or or your program specifically, Miles, but just in general, I think oftentimes people are afraid of work and they think that because they pay X amount, they're just going to be able to walk into you know new business and and pick it up, or it's a magic pill or something of that nature, and and they forget that you're going to have to do things um, that are going to make you uncomfortable that you're not used to doing. And, and, and that's a huge that's a huge aspect of it, I think. Well, I mean, look, you you were brand new into this industry when you came on board with me. And you're right. not somebody that I would say lacks self-confidence, but no, you were intimidated by the industry. I think that's a fair statement. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it's a I think that's a natural thing to be intimidated by something that you don't really have any knowledge of or that's that's new to you. But, you know, again, it's just it's just like we, we talked about with the gym example. It's you just got to put one foot in front of the other and get there. And then after that, it's like, you know, or, or jumping into the pool, man. If you know you jump into a cold pool. Yeah, it's it's cold at first. But once you're in, you're good. And and I think that some people just look past that and, and kind of forget um you know, that that's part of it. Yeah. I'm going to use the reverse of that example. The hot pool in the cold weather seems like a good idea. Not so fun when you get out. We uh, just had our pool heater yeah. for the first time this winter. And I got to tell you, uh, not a pleasant experience. How much did that cost you? Right. How much did that cost you to heat that? Not pool? as bad as you would think, pool? man. It's not, it's, it's electric. Okay. It only bumped my electric bill by like a hundred bucks a month, which that might seem like a lot to people, but it's no, not, it's not, not based on, no, and it doesn't get super super cold here, at least for not not for a long period of time. So, um, yeah, we're adding a pool, but they were going to do it like it's like a gas heater, and so it uses the gas. And so they're talking about the cost to use gas to heat the pool, and I was like, I just hear horror stories. I don't know what that bill actually is, and like you said, everyone's bill is it feel that bill feels different to everyone. Uh, but I was like, ah, I just don't know about heat in the pool. Well, I tell you, right. the gas is a little bit cheaper than the electric, but I will also advise you right now that you need to put a governor on that thermostat because my wife has no problem cranking that thing up to 92. <laughs> it was at 92 this weekend. I was hot. We were in the garage working, putting stuff together, blah, blah, blah. I was ready to go jump into the pool, and I felt like I was just did a headfirst dive into a hot tub, man. It was horrible. Ugh. It was the worst thing ever. Not good. Well, David, I've been on, super man. impressed by your ability to grow Killing Commercial so fast and, and your ability to just scale that thing and manage. You know, 
I mean, the number of members that you have and the portal that you send them through to manage that many people through that process is, I, I think it's incredible as I've brought on, you know, three clients and I'm thinking about the amount of time that I spend with them, which I love every minute of it. But I'm just thinking about the amount of time that I spend with those three and to onboard a hundred and to put together a program surrounding that. It's, it's super impressive as I dip my toes into it. It's fun, man. I mean, to your point, I, I like watching people light up. I like the ability to make an impact on other people, but most importantly, you know, and it, it's not exclusive to killing. It's with my own producers. I get happier when they go get a win than I do for myself. I, I'm past that, right? I, yeah. Yes, I will still get excited. If I write an account that's fifty or 100000 in agency revenue, I don't know that I will ever get sick of that. But I mean, just the yeah. average mundane day, day after day stuff, the things that used, you know, used to get me riled up don't. I'd rather see Kyle go get his first $50,000 revenue account or somebody in Killing Commercial go close something that they never would have walked into until they had gone into the program and they had gotten that self-confidence. I mean, I've got guys in there. And it's not a sexist remark. It's literally just guys at this point that have had this story. So ladies, pick it up, please. We please pick it up and start producing more? Anyhow. That being said, I've had guys in the program that literally are, are writing accounts that are four and five hundred thousand dollars in premium, and they had never written anything bigger than a four thousand dollar bop prior to going through. And you know, it's so interesting because for as many people as you have on that side of the spectrum that don't have the self belief, you have the other the other ones who need to have a little less self-belief because they're going to do whatever. There was one dude that went out, he got into the program one day, the next day he went out uh, cold calling prospects and he called me the following day. He's like, David, I, I need your help. I'm in trouble. And I'm like, any bail money? What's the deal? He's like, I accidentally got in front of a prospect yesterday. I'm like, what? How do you accidentally get in front of a prospect? He's like, listen, man, I had this conversation with you. I know, you know, your stuff. And I just knew that I had this list of people I've always wanted to call on. It was my dream list. And I'm like, you know what? There's no way they're going to stump him. I'm going to go call on him and David's got my back. And I'm thinking, I'm like on the edge of my seat at this point thinking, I really hope that I do have this guy's back and it's something that I know about. He's like, yeah, I was in there and I went in. There was a workers' comp account at $600,000 in premium and they have a 1.21 mod. And I'm thinking – that's right go. in my wheelhouse, baby. Let's go get it. And he ends up closing the deal. Nice. That's amazing. But not just that deal. He got an AOR on the whole account. It's $1.1 million all in. Sweet. This guy hadn't written anything remotely close to that prior. And he, you know what? He didn't know any better. He All he knew was, I know nothing at all about doing this. And I'm going to trust this guy's process. And he followed it to the T. I got him ready. I did the mod audit with him. I gave him all of his talking points, explained why they were important so that I wasn't he wasn't just regurgitating. He was understanding and he could have conversation of, around these things. And he said, I walked in and it's the first time they'd ever seen anything like that, ever heard anything like that. And we got the AOR in the first meeting. Boom. He didn't know any that's better crazy. and he trusted. I think that's the that's other crazy. piece to it, though. People, number one, need to believe in themselves. But number two... If you are subjecting yourself to go through a process or training or whatever else, you have to trust that process. Now, yeah, and not just for one account. It's got to be, you know, across the board. It's you know, it may not, it may not be, you know, first account out of the gates. I think that that used to happen to me all the time when I was selling office supplies. We'd walk into a business and I'd tell them to make a certain change, and they make the change, and it, you know, and they didn't, they didn't bite, and they'd turn around and be like, "See, dude, I told you it didn't work." And I'd be like, "Okay, dude. Well, let's go see another. Let's go see another five businesses, and then we can have that chat." And of course, it always ended up, you know, panning out the the way that it was supposed to. But it's that part's important too to remember, everyone. David, what if you know advice for the people who you know, the people on listen to this who own insurance agencies who have producers that 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 work for them, and you know you've got producers calling and relying on your program to help them get the confidence that they need. What do you think something that principals of insurance agencies can do in their own agencies to provide that kind of backup to their producers? Do you think it's developing programs, running appointments, being a better mentor, having the exposure themselves first? 
Like, what, what do you think the gap is there that they need to step up and do for their producers? I, I can tell you exactly what it is from my perspective, and it's something that I'm equally as guilty of. You have to have a process for everything. You can't replicate what you haven't formalized, right? I mean, you have this story. Things get lost in translation along the way. There's that old story about the um, lady who cut the end off of her ham every Easter before she cooked it. And she put, you know, she did that and, and it came out in the story that, well, why do you, why how, her kid came up, mom, why do you cut the end off of our hand? And, and she said, well, I, I do that because that's the way my mom taught me to do that. So she went to her mother and said, hey, mom, um, why, why is it that you always cut the end off the ham? You know, you, you, you do it and that's how you taught me to do it. And now I don't even know why I'm doing this. And so she said, I don't know. My grandmother's the one who taught me to do it. Or my mother's the one who taught me to do it. Your grandmother. So she goes to the grandmother and says, hey, mom, all of us are cutting the end off the ham. I don't understand why. She goes, well, I don't know why the rest of you are, but I had to do it because my pan was too small. Right? Well, I think the same thing holds true. You know, so many things in the insurance industry have just been passed down the old school way, but there's no real formal process in place. And once you decide you're going to get serious about something and it's something where you want to train people and replicate the exact same result every time, it's got to be a formal process. It's got to be documented. It has to be trained. It has to be tested on and signed off on. And the biggest thing that has happened for my agency around that from an operational perspective, because whatever any of you think, I can assure you we are far from perfect. I'm just smart enough to only talk about the things we do really well. You know, that being said, is getting a VA on board. And I know you're huge in VAs, but that was really what forced me as a relatively young agency. We're, we're going to hit our fifth year. We'll be all the way over in June. Every time I looked at something, I, for the last probably six or seven months, I've said, David, is this something that you need to be doing yourself? And if the answer was no, then I said, is this something somebody internally can handle or is this something that I can have done you know, by a VA? And if the answer was something I could have done by a VA, actually internally or otherwise, the next step was, I need to go ahead and do a loom recording of exactly how I want this done and build a library so that when I'm ready, so and my number was 25. When I get 25 processes documented, I'm gonna bring in a VA to take those 25 things off of my plate every week and I've already got the knowledge base built out. So I'm not gonna have to worry about trying to train them on the fly. It's already done. And as soon as I get that handed off, I'm going to look and see, are there 25 more things? Because that's what allows you to operate as a principal, is understanding how you need to manage your own time. To your point, people are blown away that I'm able to spend as much time on killing commercial as what I, I spend. It's a perception. If you had access to my calendar, like Kyle has access to my calendar, you would see that literally every minute of every day is scheduled on my calendar. There's nothing that I do by accident. And I have the time to manage my book to help the you know things that are going on the agency or otherwise. All of that is scheduled. So it's never an accident when it happens. And I you know, so I think that's probably, you know, you're asking me for advice. Uh, that we could hand out to somebody that's a principal. If you can document your processes early and not do what I did and wait until you're in your fifth year to do it, do it. You know, get it done from the beginning, even if it's a little bit at a time. What's the worst thing that could happen? You get it wrong and you have to change it? At least you already did it and tried it and you have something that you can modify. And once you do that and you have that in place, whether it be sales, whether it be general operations, whatever, now you have something that you can train people on, but without any formality to it, you have nothing. Was, was there, there any significance? About... Oh, sorry, sorry, Miles. Was I was going to ask if there was any significance behind the 25 or if that if you just kind of came to that number. No, I just sort of came to that number. It, it sounded right. I, I felt like 25 things when I'm looking at what those 25 things were, that could free up between 30 and 40 hours of my time. 
David, when it took you, we say it took you three, four, five years to get to the point where you started writing that out. You know, obviously other agency owners, it's taking them 10 years, 15 years, 20 years. They're just now recognizing that in order for them to get to the next level, they've got to sit down and start doing that. Like, was there a was there a single thing that happened in your agency or in your life? Was it hiring VAs? Like, what was it that you said, here was the moment, like my moment in the parking lot. That was the moment I decided I'm no longer going to be an employee. I'm going to be an employer one day. Like, what was your moment, your defining moment that you like, you just switched? It, it was because we need to bring in VAs. I mean, that that's the number one reason. And it's not like I didn't know it needed to happen in terms of the documenting and, and the formalization. Yep. It's just we've been we were growing at such a clip. And I, I can look, I'm going to give you the same excuses everybody else gives you. And I allowed those to be excuses. So at the end of the day, it's my fault. But that being said, it was bringing in the VA and knowing that the only way that would work was if I had that stuff documented ahead of time. And so it sort of forced my hand to do that. Now, by me freeing up that time, guess what I have more time to do? Formalize the rest of the stuff that I need to formalize. Yeah, no, I have time to deal with it now. So it makes life so much easier. And how painful was that? I mean, was that hard for you to switch from being like producer and working that capacity to switch to now thinking through your agency and writing processes and developing your business? Like, was that a hard switch for you? It wasn't as hard for me. I, you know, what I would say is, number one, ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to introduce you to the third host to the Power Producers podcast. <laughs> now asking the questions. Um, that No, but I mean... No, I can no, stop I think, asking questions, but like thinking of producing the principles, like this yeah, no, is this the is gold, stuff. Man. That this is like, absolute gold. You're 100 percent on point. For me, it wasn't is is big of a transition because I had a background of management positions for 10 years before I ever got into the insurance industry. What I will tell you is this, and I have a feeling that a lot of people feel the same way about this, and that is that. It's a lot harder when you start something from scratch that has no infrastructure, no structure whatsoever. You know, when I was running grocery stores, all I was doing was implementing processes and procedures that had already been defined by corporate. It was about execution only. I didn't have to first recognize a problem, then solve the problem, then document the solution, then train the people. I mean, and go through that whole thing. So I think that anybody who thinks that going from not ever owning an agency and having management experience whatsoever to owning one is a great idea. I think it's a great idea for the long term. You'll make more money doing this than you'll ever make doing anything else. But you better figure out a way to get some structure in place because if you don't, you're going to end up with a lot of issues. And so for me, um, I just let it, I just let it continue. You know, I just, I just let the informality of things continue. And I finally just said, you know, it was truly like my new year's resolution was I got to get all this stuff firmed up this year. I, number one, if I ever want to exit it, that's got to happen, right? My valuation would suck if people would come in and say, okay, let's take a look at peas. Oh, yeah. Well, hold on. What do you want to know? I'm right here. I can answer anything you got. No. You know, and, and, and I think that's the biggest thing. And it, it, and it stinks because it's not a revenue producing activity, right? Where when you first hang your shingle out, it's all about producing revenue. It's not about having processes and procedures. It doesn't mean processes and procedures aren't important, but if it comes between your family eating and whether or not you've documented the renewal process, you're going to do what you got to do to get groceries. And, it, you know, I had a guy ask me one time, mm -hmm. uh, like last week or the week before, it actually was later than that now, but he, he basically said, man, if you recovered from your 1-1, I bet your 1-1 renewals are massive. And I said, actually, um, I, you'd be very underwhelmed if you knew what my 1-1 looked like. He's like, man, my 1-1 was huge. You don't write 1-1 business? I'm like, no, not, not a lot of it. He said, well, well, why not? I said, because I needed money in August when I launched my agency. I went out and prospected August, September, October really, really hard. And as it turned out... I've never gone back and backfilled January, but I was literally writing business to cash flow. And that's where my that's where my thought process was. When you jump into having to put on that operations hat and know, you know, that okay, I've got to sit back and look at this. Listen, I'll be the first person to tell anybody. I use total CSR in my agency. Why? Because I've never been a CSR. 
I would be the world's worst CSR trainer because I've never, I've never managed a desk. Oh. I don't want the job. I don't like the job. I love the people who do it because it means I don't have to. But at the end of the day, if you want to learn how to set up your day as an account manager or a CSR, I could give you a list of thousands of people that you'd want to talk to before me. It's not what my skill set is. If it was, I'd be the best CSR there was, right. period. But I don't like that. <laughs> but I think that's it, man. I, th- I really think that, you know, you have so many things to juggle. And, and, you know, that's what I like about the concept that you've laid out and the program that you've put in place is, you know, now these people are learning on the job. They're getting that knowledge. They're getting the documentation. You know, they're, they're understanding what it means to do this. And, you know, I think that's invaluable education for people if they're getting ready to hang out the shingle. Because last time I checked, Outside of the agency management module in the National Alliance CIC Institute, there's not a class class that says how to run an insurance agency. You know, I mean, you've got Billy. You know, Billy does his thing, and you're doing your thing, and we do our thing. And there's a lot of segmented stuff, but yours is probably the one that, based on what I what I know, that's the closest to taking somebody and helping them plan now for what they're going to do in a few years. Cause even with Billy Williams, as good as his information is and is as much involved as he gets with these agencies, they're already agency principals when they get to Billy. If you can get them before that, you're golden, man. And I think you're onto something that's going to be a huge help, not just to the, um, the, the people that you're helping, but the industry at, at large, because these are people that might be in a position to just go out and buy an agency instead of starting one from scratch, you know, go get some funding, buy an agency, a guy's retiring. Now you have something you can go in, get a little cash flow. It's going to make it a whole lot easier for you to do your implementation and, and all of your processes and procedures that way. Cause you can fund it, but we just, we don't see that stuff. Yeah, yeah you're exactly right. So let me ask you this, because we're coming up on an hour. I want to be respectful of everybody's time. Where do they find you? I mean, I know that people are going to want, number one, people do not reach out to me for advice on how to run your agency. Reach out to Miles. If you want to sell commercial middle market, I can help you. I probably need to go through Miles' program so that I can get better at what I do. So call him. How, How do they get a hold of you? So, yeah, I you can find me at uh, just producers2principles.com. Uh, you can find me at advisorsinsuranceagency.com. But producersoftheprinciples.com, that's the website we developed for that program. Uh, you can, I mean, my name is, is uh, it comes from the, Uni- from in the United States in 1627, the first Miles Merwin sailed here from England. Uh, so it's a popular name up in the Northeast, but in South Carolina, it's not very popular. Uh, but you can Google Miles Merwin, and I will show up. Uh, you know, I make it I make it a point to make sure if you search for my name, it's it's owned by me and it's out there. Uh, but producersoftheprinciples.com, that would be the place to go. Awesome. Well, listen, man, I really appreciate you spending time coming on today. This has been a really good episode. All kidding aside, I think your questions were spot on, man, and I really appreciate you asking them because it gives people a completely different perspective. And honestly, I, you know, you're right. We need to look human. I, I, I want people to understand that because I'll answer a phone call and people are like, "Oh my gosh, I'm really talking to you. I, I, I've listened to you for so many, so many months now. I can't believe it's actually you on the phone." I'm thinking, dude, come on, man, come to my come to my living room and watch my family have dinner. That'll show you how much of a normal person I am. There's a lot of power bet- uh, with folks like yourself, David, me, and other people who have started. I'm not saying like y- there's not a lot of power in talking to people who have taken over family agencies, but there's a lot of power in someone who has started an agency from scratch and gone through those stages of just, hey, I've got to get money coming in the door to now realizing, oh, wait, now I need to train and recruit. I mean, not in, not in that order. Uh, recruit and train and keep them accountable. Like going through those stages yourself through a business and understanding it, that there's something really powerful about learning that along the way um, versus just walking into it. I agree. And also, I have a special message for Stuart Hudspeth and David Hayner. I'm coming for you, boys. Miles has me pumped up, and I haven't heard from you in a little bit. Got him.
I'm a hundred percent part of that team that you said that the agency owner isn't selling insurance and relies on David Carruthers to help them get through their commercial appointments. And I, you know, I'm almost shameful of that sometimes, but I have to realize, like, I feel like, you know, one of the best things I've done is surround myself with people who are smarter than me. That's the best thing I got going, including my extremely hot wife. Like, I just go find people that are, that are better looking and, and smarter than me and surround myself with them because otherwise I'm going to fail. Absolutely. Uh, I got to get people better than me. And by the way, for all of you who are Googling Miles Merwin wife right now, just stop, people. That's not cool. All right, guys. That's not cool. <laughs> We're going to kill it. Miles, it's been awesome, man. Always a pleasure talking to you. Please keep me in the loop. Let me know how this thing's going and how I can help you. I'm sure you're going to have a lot of people reach out that have heard you talk on this. And I hope uh, nothing but the best for everybody involved. So we'll catch you soon. Thanks, David. Thanks, Kyle. You've been listening to the Power Producers Podcast. You can follow Killing Commercial Insurance on Facebook and YouTube. And if you want to take your game to the next level, next level, check out our book, The Extra Two Minutes, and our website, killingcommercial.com. Killing Commercial.